This past Thursday, if you have paid any attention at all in the news, you know that a gunman, a shooter, whom I will not name, he was looking for notoriety, I'm not giving him that, went into a community college, Umpka Community College in Oregon, and he ended up killing nine, wounding ten, and then taking his own life. If you haven't heard about it, then obviously you haven't been paying attention to the news. But even if you have heard about it, what you may not have heard was the reason that he chose some of those whom he chose. In one account, it came from Autumn Vicari, who described to NBC News what her brother J.J. witnessed in the room. And let me just share uh, what, what was said here. Vicari said... At one point, the shooter told people to stand up before asking whether they were Christian or not. Vicari's brother told her that anyone who responded yes was shot in the head. If they said other or didn't answer, they were shot elsewhere in the body, usually in the leg. You read that and you think this is something that is far more likely to occur in Iran or Afghanistan or Nigeria. This kind of thing simply ought not happen here. Not in the United States of America. Not in a far off place in Umpqua, Oregon. But it's not the first time that Christians have been targeted even here. And it won't be the last. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for the families of those who lost loved ones. We need to pray for those who are injured, wounded, both, uh, both physically and emotionally through what took place. And let's not forget to pray for the family of the one who did the shooting. With the exception of losing your loved one in a shooting like that, probably the worst thing that could happen is for your child to be the one who pulled the trigger and then to take his own life. This is a matter for prayer. It is not just a blurb on the news that is quickly replaced by the flooding in Charleston, South Carolina. These are people who stood up for their faith at the risk of their lives and even some sacrificing their lives. Now, we here in Greene County, Georgia, we feel pretty secure. Nothing like that is going to happen. We know that not everybody here is is Christian. We, We know that. But it seems far more likely that Bigfoot would come riding in on the back of the Loch Ness Monster into this building than for some shooter to go into a school, into a church, into a business, pulling the trigger, trying to commit mass murder. But the more we see it happen, the more we hear about it, it begins to creep into our minds that maybe, maybe it's not so foreign after all. We begin to ask, what if it did happen here? And after 
the reports from Thursday, we might even go so far as to ask, what would I say if a gun were pointed at my head and I was asked to either confirm or deny that I am a Christian? The more I read about the incident, the more my mind thought of Paul's words that he wrote to the church at Philippi where he said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now hang on before we go any further because when we see this for to me, we begin to think in our own individualistic society. In other words, what's true for me is this, but what's true for you may be something else. And what you need to understand is that is not at all what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, here's my testimony. Here is where I stand. Regardless of where anyone else stands, this is the truth upon which I stand. This is where I stake my life and my eternity. For me to live is Christ. That's my testimony. For me to live is Christ. And for me to die, that's gain. Now that's fairly easy to say when you live in Greene County, Georgia. What were things like for Paul? Well, when Paul wrote this, <laughs> imprisoned, chained, when Paul wrote this, there was a guy sitting on the throne, the emperor of, the, uh, of, of Rome. There was a guy named Nero. And we know a little bit about Nero. He started really, really well as far as Roman emperors went and went quickly downhill, became really all about Nero. And a Roman historian named Tacitus wrote some things about Nero that help us understand the context into which Paul said these words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let me just share with you what Tacitus wrote about Nero. He said, besides being put to death, the Christians were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified. And others were set on fire to serve to illuminate the night when daylight failed. What does that mean? That means that they were tied to posts covered in pitch, in tar, and then used as human torches. And it says, Atatidus goes on to say that Nero had thrown open wide the grounds for the display and was putting on a show and a circus where he mingled with the people in the dress of a charioteer and drove about in his chariot. In other words, part of the display, the decorations for his party were the burning bodies of Christians on poles used as torches to light his parade route as he's in costume as if it were Halloween. All this, Tacitus said, 
All this gave rise to the feeling of pity. For it was felt that they, the Christians, were being destroyed not for the public good, as if that might have been better, but to gratify the cruelty of an individual. Nero was the emperor in front of whom Paul would stand to answer the charges. This is the guy. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sounds like a good something to put on your coffee mug, right? Maybe to have cross stitched and stuck up in your den. Sounds like a good little theme to put on your bumper sticker. Not for Paul. Paul, this was life right here. This was it. For me to live. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. And for Paul, both of those were very likely options. Admittedly, the world in which we live in is not that world. For Paul, there was a very thin line between life and death. But let's admit it, folks. In the world in which we live, that line, that thin line between life and death seems to be getting a lot thinner. It was for the students and the adults in that community college. It is for those brothers and sisters in Egypt and Iran and Afghanistan and Pakistan and many other countries like that. It is for them. It is for those Christians in Nigeria. That line has become as thin as the webbing of a spider. And even here in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Even here that line is beginning to become thinner and thinner and thinner. And so I'd like this morning to take a few minutes and look at a larger portion of what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. With this linchpin to live as Christ, to die as gain. This kind of stake driven in the middle of this chapter. I'd like us to take a look at what Paul is saying in here. Because I think we need, we need to hear this. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1 verses 18 through 30. Now you're going, that is not at all what's in my notes this morning. And you're right. Because that's for now a sermon two weeks from now. So if you want to hang on to it, that's fine. We will republish. You will get it again. Uh, So if you want to try to scribble notes in somewhere, uh, feel free to do so. But I simply felt compelled. Last night, Nancy said, are you ready to go to bed? I'm like, no. (laughs) And because I knew that what I prepared to say was not for this morning. And so I spent some time just going through this chapter, Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to pick up about midway through verse 18. So if you've got your Bibles, you can look there. It will also be on the screen. I did get those slides put together. Um, Where Paul begins this way, he says, Christ is preached. And because of this, 
I rejoice, and yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, remember I said Paul is in prison. He's in prison because there are really two, uh, two groups of people that don't like him a lot. One are the, the, the very fervent, zealous Jews who feel like Paul is undermining their religion by pointing to Jesus Christ as Messiah. They can't shut him up, and so they've got him arrested, and they're trying their best to kill him if they can. The other group is the Romans, because Paul is saying that Jesus is Lord, and he's going in these communities, and he's pointing people towards Jesus But in Rome, it was the emperor whom they thought was Lord. Therefore, to say Jesus is Lord is to put him above the emperor, and that ain't happening. And so the Romans were against him, and the Jews were against him, and so Paul's here in prison. Now, while he's in prison, there are people out there who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you go back, and and I'll encourage you to read the first portion of that uh, chapter uh, on your own, but Paul is, is... There are people who are out there who are preaching Jesus, but they've got kind of mixed motives. They're they're preaching with this selfish desire. They're they're preaching to to get fame for themselves and get recognition for themselves. They're not really preaching because they're committed to the cause and they're willing to pay whatever the price is. And and Paul looks at that and, and he's sitting there in prison and he could be considering, Lord, I could be out there. I could be compromising. I could be looking out for myself. I could be preaching with mixed motives. I could be doing that, God, and maybe I wouldn't be in here. But that's not his attitude. He's not sitting there angry because he's in jail. He's not sitting there angry because there are people out there who are preaching Christ whose motivation is less pure than his own. Instead, he says, listen, what has happened to me? All this junk, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, Paul actually believed what he wrote in Romans 8.28. Another coffee mug verse. You remember that verse? For God is working for the good. He's working all things to good. Good, bad, otherwise. God's working all these things for the good of those who love him, who are being called according to his purpose. Paul actually believed that. We say it. Put it on a t-shirt. But in the midst of really bad times, do we really cling to it? Now, Paul is, is in prison. He, he's, he's, he's there for the sake of the gospel. He's in prison. And he goes on, verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, in verse 19, he talked about his deliverance. Now, when we think of deliverance, that means eventually somebody's going to come, unlock the door, and let me out. I'll be delivered. And that could be what's in Paul's mind. It appears to be a little later. He's thinking that likelihood is I'm getting out. But you know what? There's no guarantee both life and death were options. 
There's no guarantee. He kind of had this indication, this sense that, yes, I need to get out. God's going to let me out of here. But when he's saying it's going to work for my deliverance, let me tell you something, folks. Deliverance for Christians comes in two flavors. One is the deliverance we have on this earth from our problems and issues we have here. And the other is when we're released from this earth. When we all the fetters, all the bonds, all the problems, all the issue, all the cancer, all the financial problems, all the family problems, all this stuff, when we're delivered from that. And so, listen, Paul says, I got it either way. Either I'm going to get out or I'm going to go home. And either way, I win. Either way, I'm delivered. But his desire, he says, is I don't want to do anything and I don't want to say anything that is going to bring shame to my Savior Jesus. I don't want to be ashamed in his eyes. What he said he wanted was courage. He wanted courage to be faithful so that Jesus would be exalted or magnified or or enlarged in the eyes of people, whether he lives or whether he dies. In other words, if I'm going to go on living, I want to live in such a way that I'm making much of Jesus. When it comes time for me to die, I want to die in such a way that makes much of Jesus. Paul says, I want the courage. To do that, you, you'd think Paul already had all the courage, but he's, he's still looking for that courage. There have got to be times of doubt. There have got to be times where you, you wonder, am I on the right track? Am I doing the right thing? If I am, why am I in this situation? Paul said, I want the courage to be able to enlarge Jesus, to make him magnified in the eyes of people, whether I live or whether I die. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, what does that mean? It means that if I live my life... My life, if I live, my life is to be lived for Jesus and in Jesus. Christ is my life. Christ permeates every fiber of my being. There is no dividing line for me between what is sacred and what is secular. What is Sunday and what is the rest of the week. What is holy and what is unholy. In other words, in my life. To be so wrapped up in Christ that the line between secular and sacred is gone. Because I understand that what makes a place holy is the presence of the holy God in me. This building, it is no more holy than your bedroom, your workshop. Your TV room, your golf cart, your boat. To live. My life is woven together with Christ so that to pull the, the thread of Jesus out of my life would unravel me entirely. For me to live is Christ. God gives me life then that life that I live will be wrapped up and consumed with Christ. Paul says what he means here, to die is gain. 
means that when I die, I win. We think of death as losing. Paul says, ah, think think of death as winning. Now, we kind of know this because we go to funerals, we go to visitations at a funeral home, and and we find someone who's grieving, and we go up to them, and very often, I, I cannot tell you the hundreds of times that I've heard in a funeral home or in a funeral service uh, someone say about the dearly, excuse me, the dearly departed, uh, he is in a better place or she is in a better place. And if they're a Christian, guess what? They are. They are. Most certainly, they are in a better place. But when we say that, do we really mean it or are we just saying stuff? Just trying to make somebody feel better. Do we really believe that it's that much better? Because the evidence is that we fight and we claw to stay here on this earth as long as we possibly can. And since I've got to be here anyway, I might as well make it as comfortable as I can make it. This world, even though it's full of both pleasures and pains, is all we know. And we have a hard time turning loose of it. We can say, hey, I know there's something better but do we long for it we can know it but do we long for it i'm not going to sing it to you but many of you if you've been in church growing up especially the country churches then you've heard at many a funeral beulah land the line i'm kind of homesick for a country place I've never seen before. Are we really? Are we really homesick for heaven? Are we homesick to be in the presence of Jesus? Or are we perfectly, perfectly content for God to just leave us here and just to give us kind of a, a, a quasi-eternal life here on this earth just to kind of deal with the earth stuff? Or are we ready to check out? You know, I, I heard one old guy say, Someone asked him, hey, you know, if the Lord calls you ready to die, he said, oh, he said, listen, I, I'm, I'm ready to go anytime, but I'm not in line to buy a ticket. I'm not sure that was Paul's attitude. I'm thinking Paul was like, okay, while I'm in line to buy my ticket, I'll let Jesus use me in any way he wants to. Completely different way to think about it. In other words, instead of saying, hey, line over here to check out, it's right over there. I'm going to stay as far away from that as I can. No, Paul's saying, listen, I'm already in line to buy a ticket. But while the Lord leaves me here, I'm going to serve him. He helps us understand what it means to live as Christ to die. It's gained in the next verses, picking up with verse 22. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, in other words, if, I, if God's going to leave me here, that means I'm going to continue to serve him with every fiber of my being. I'm going to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to continue to do good to others. I'm going to tend, continue to encourage believers. I'm going to keep going. As long as God leads me here, there is no retirement plan in the kingdom of God. As long as you're here, you're here to serve. Yet what shall I choose? Here's Paul's dilemma. What shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. 
I desire, what I want, my longing is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. In other words, the top choice on the list is to check out now and to go and be with Jesus forever and ever and ever, which is better by far, infinitely better. But verse 24, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul goes, listen, if I'm given the choice, I'd rather die. I don't think most of us would make that choice. If I'm given the choice, he said, I'd rather go on and be with Jesus now. But I kind of got this thing from God that tells me I'm going to be around a little bit longer. And he's got me here for a purpose. And that purpose is you, he says. The purpose is you. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. And what I want to do while I'm here is to be that means by which you grow in your faith and your life exalts Christ so that, so that you'll be boasting about Jesus and everything you do and everything you say. That's why I'm here. And I'm content to be here if that's what God wants me to do. He's saying, God, if you leave me here, I'll keep serving you. But if you take me home... I'll be with you. I cannot lose. This had to be, at least in some way, the thinking of those who were asked to stand in the classroom at Umpqua Community College. It's not that they were ready to leave mother and father, sister and brother, husband or wife, son or daughter. It's not that they were eager to leave them behind. It wasn't that they had no plans, no dreams, no hopes for the future. They said, when given the choice to stand for Christ or to deny Christ, even with a gun pointing at them, They chose to stand for Christ. Write this in the margins somewhere, maybe in your Bible or or there. Write Matthew 10, 32 and 33, two of the most uncomfortable verses in Scripture. This is what Jesus says there. He says, if you acknowledge me in front of other people before men, then I, I'm going to acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you disown me before others, I will disown you before my Father in heaven. You ever been chewing on a great piece of steak and then bite into some gristle? 
That's kind of what happens when you're reading verse 32 in Matthew chapter 10. If you acknowledge me before Father, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. You're just, you're just chewing, you're enjoying that piece of steak. And then you read verse 33, but if you disown me, I'll disown you. It's like biting into that gristle, and that even though the flavor's there, it's just lost. It's got something you want to spit it out. But we can't ignore this. It doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation, but it does mean that when times come when you can either identify with Christ or deny Christ, it actually shows your salvation or shows it's not there. Let, let's, let's keep on going. I want to I wrap this chapter up if we can. Verse 27, whatever happens, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together, not striving with one another, but striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that will be destroyed, but that you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Whatever happens is, is a broad and open statement. Whether you go on living like you're living, or whether the bottom falls out tomorrow, whether you win the lottery or a gunman has a barrel up to your head. Whatever happens, Paul says, this is, let me tell you, based on where I am and where you ought to be, whatever happens, live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Live a life that's worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus for you. Live a life that's worthy of the blood of Jesus Christ. Live a life that's worthy of the love of God expressed to you. Whatever happens, live a life worthy of the gospel. For it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that his, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, that, that's the most important thing to you. And if it is, then show it. Don't just tell it. Tell it. But also show it. Talk about Jesus. But live as if Jesus actually lives in you. And live as if he was actually coming back. One of the greatest criticisms of those who call themselves Christians and of churches is that we talk a good game, but our lives don't match what we say. Whatever happens, whatever happens, stand firm in the Spirit of God. Whatever happens, strive together for the gospel. Whatever happens, don't fear those who oppose you. The way we live for Christ and the way we face death with hope is a sign to everyone that this is real. That Jesus is real. 
He's not a fairy tale. He's not a story to be told at Christmas and Easter. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the Son of God and the Savior of sinful mankind. He's seated on the throne in heaven and he said, one day I'm coming back for my own. Live as if that Jesus is real. Let's wrap up this chapter. Verse, verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I like the way the message translation puts it. It's really, really simple, straightforward. It says, for you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. In America, we just don't know much about that. We've never really experienced that struggle. Oh, we, we really get upset because they've taken prayer out of schools. We get upset because... They've taken Bible reading. I mean, there's some things that we get upset about. Yes, I know, I know. But can I tell you something? Let me be honest with you. They can't take prayer out of school. Not as long as there are children and teachers willing to pray. They can't take the Bible out of school. As long as there are children and teachers who are there with God's word in their hearts. They can't do it. So quit being a weenie and quit whining and start living. Start living. Start living as if Jesus were real. So let, listen, let me just leave you with some things this morning. This morning, begin to pray. Begin to pray for your brothers and sisters who suffer tremendous hardship for the sake of Jesus. It's not going to be on the news reports, okay? It's not going to be there. You're not going to find it except every once in a while little blurbs on the news. It's not going to be there. But I'm telling you, every day dozens of people die for the name of Jesus. You just don't know their names. But it's okay, God does. Pray for them. Make it, put it on your list. People to pray for daily. I don't know their names, but I know they're suffering for Jesus. I'm praying for them. And can we be honest this morning with ourselves and with with God that if, if we were to complete the sentence, for to me to live is blank, what would we put in the sentence? For me to live is golf. For me to live is money. For me to live is leisure. For me to live is grandchildren. What? Put a lot of things in that blank, can't you? But can we say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Jesus. All those other things may be good, but they don't ultimately matter can we be honest with ourselves this morning that we may be way more at home here on this earth than we are in our heavenly home
Our longing is for here, not for there. Can we just be honest with God about it? Because I'm going to, let me tell you something. If you're not honest with God about it, he's got nothing to work with. But when you come and you just say, God, I just want to be honest with you. My priorities, don't, don't put you at the top. And I really like this life. I'm not interested at all in dying and going to heaven. Take that off my list. When we're finally honest with God to say, listen, my heart belongs here, not there. Then God's got something to work with. But as long as we keep lying to ourselves and lying to him, he's got nothing to work with. This morning, can we commit to one another and to God that we will stand That doesn't mean taking a picture with a piece of paper that says, I'm a Christian, and posting it on Facebook. Anybody can do that. Don't be impressed. But when your back is against the wall, when your integrity hangs in the balance, When no one else is looking except you and Jesus. When you have an opportunity to gain by hurting someone else. To elevate yourself by putting someone else down. When you have an opportunity to cheat. To cut corners. To steal. To defraud. No piece of paper saying I'm a Christian is going to matter. It's how you live. It's the choice you make. You shouldn't need that piece of paper. When people look at your life, when they hear the way you talk, when they see the compassion in you, when they see that you're willing to lower yourself in order to serve. When they see that you're bold enough to say, not only with your actions, but with your words, I follow Jesus. It's then and only then that this world will begin to take Jesus seriously, his church seriously, and his people seriously. Are you willing to stand?